Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. It's off season, but we've got a lot of things in line coming up in the next few weeks and everything, so um, let us know. Um, also, a big thing coming up in light with uh, any um, men want to go on the Engage trip uh, that's coming up that Andy Poole puts on. That's a phenomenal time just to get away and meet a bunch of guys have a lot of fun in Fruta. But also coming up in June is a man camp. And so I just uh, really encourage... Um, few of us just got away, fathers and sons, um, for Big Brooks turning 13. And we started this back when our son, with Jonathan, was uh, 13. Well, before that, actually, just a group of uh, fathers and sons. And, and uh, we did this with our daughters as well. But, uh, you know, just had those important times throughout those special times, those seasons to have a special ceremony, right, just to, to, to fortify, build up, right, who they are in the Lord and the good things that God has for them. So important today. And uh, so we had a great uh, few days away kind of pouring in on that. And uh, I I would just really encourage you dads and, uh, again, single moms. we got a bunch. We have several, I think, signed up now. Um, We'd love to take um, single moms' sons on main camp with us. Just let us know and to kind of fill that. And uh, it's just an awesome experience uh, and so, so important. Um, And just to see the dads interact and the sons. Uh, there's so many testimonies and just generational things that have come out of that. Chris has taken that to a whole new level. Uh, that's coming up here in June. So just if you have any questions at all about that or know somebody that would love to come, bring their son or sons to this, um, let us know. We'd love to get them connected. It's really great, great stuff. So also, uh, Michelle and I got, we were down there, and then uh, at the end of the week, we were up at Fort Collins. Uh, I do the chaplaincy here for our police department, and I was there for training at the police department at Fort Collins, and um, I just want to, two things just blew me away. Um, One was, boy, I tell you, I have a whole new, I mean, I had an honor, I respect and everything for our law enforcement, but I tell you, after spending time with a, a larger group of them from all of Colorado, mainly Front Range and the chaplains and um, everything. Uh, Boy, what they go through and uh, what they do to serve us. I have a whole new respect, and and we need to honor them. We're going to uh, throw out as a church. We're going to do some um, things, some cool things just to support and love on our police department here. You'll be hearing about those those things. But just just a little indicator, you know, all of us, typically we have one to three major traumatic, most people have one to three major traumatic events in their lifetime. A law enforcement officer, if they go, you know, their career through it, they could have up to 800. And um, that's staggering when you think about that, right? What they have to go through, what they choose to go through, right, for us and to keep us safe and and everything they're going through right now, they, they need our support. So um, the other thing that was just a, blew me away was just the faith in that room. It was just encouraging, hugely encouraging to see, um, boy, the, the, the faith, the, the chaplains, and, and uh, just they love the Lord and uh, are serving in some hard places. And it was just really super encouraging for me to see that throughout our state. Um, when, you know, there's plenty of bad news out there, but to see behind the scenes the number of people in all the different departments who just love the Lord and are serving faithfully behind the scenes was, was really awesome. So just a little update there. Um, we're glad to be back. Wow, look at this day, huh? Amazing, amazing weather. 
Um, so if you're joining with us online or just here, I want to welcome you to Crossroads. Love to connect with you uh, and just answer any questions you have. Help get you plugged in to other things going on. We've been in a series. We're about to wrap it up in Revelation. Been in the better part of the year. Um, the last book in the Bible, and we're in chapter 21, verses 9 through 27 this morning. Encourage everybody to bring their Bible, and uh, we're going to jump in in verse 9 here in just a second. So let me just uh, dive in this morning. What are we looking at? This question, what is your dream house? And um, folks, we live, don't we? We live in a place here that people build their dream house, right? We live in a place you can walk around and just kind of, wow, what is that? That's a hotel. That's not a house. You know, um, just some great things. And, and also in a place where people actually build more than one dream house, right? Uh, it's, it's amazing. And um, so folks, built inside each one of us is a desire, right, for a home. Right, building a home, having a home is a God-given thing all the way back in the beginning to have a place to belong, to have a family, to create a place, right, to have family, and we call home. And to build, that's built into us. It's a God-given thing. It's a blessing to build a home, to have the privilege, right, to have a home, develop it, build it, and all those kinds of things. However, we live in America, and America has the American dream. And what's at the very core of the American dream? What is that? house, owning a house, right? And the problem with the culture that's growing more and more secular today, right, is we've taken this American dream and it's been so focused, right, is, and it consumes us, doesn't all of us, of getting a house, getting it fixed up, getting, and it can be all consuming for people. People have moved entire cities, entire, you know, out of entire communities just so they can have a home, just so they can have a place. And, and uh, it, it drives us to all kinds of, it, it consumes our time, our money, our effort. And again, all of that can be a good thing, but the forces in that also that can absolutely overwhelm us and, and uh, distract us are huge, right? And that's what I want to point our attention to. Maybe our thinking, maybe our dream is not big enough, right? Maybe our dream is, is not big enough. In other words, the question I want us to hone in on, oh, I'll come back to that, um, is this one. Which dream house are we focused on building? One that fades or one that is full of the glory of God? Do you know that even now Jesus, and we're going to look at this in in a second, but Jesus made a promise to you and to everyone, to his disciples specifically. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. A place for you. I, I go to prepare to build. God is going to build and is building a home, an eternal home for you. It's not some pie in the sky out there. As we're going to see, it's right here on a recreated earth. It's heaven. It's being prepared. It's coming with Jesus to this earth to be restored here again. And I just want to encourage you this morning, right? Is it because a lot of people, I mean, you know, the American dream, more and more people, especially now with interest rates and everything else going on, the house prices, right? More and more people are not able to get into a house to, quote, you know, have the American dream as such. But you have to understand throughout history and throughout the world today, that is like less than 5% of people, maybe less than that even around the world, most people never own a home. And what they have to live in is way below, right, the standard of living that we are, um, we we expect, right, in in our life. It's a whole nother, right, perspective. And 
Um, in other words, part of this is, is just to reevaluate it, our gratitude of having a, a roof over our head and, uh, and this drive of, man, I can maybe never ha- have a house. I can't afford a house. Whatever it is, is, is that I, I think, and even if I do have one, how much is that consuming me? Because it fades. And any of you have ever owned a home, you know how much time and effort goes into it, upkeep. And the real question is, do we ever really own it? You know, uh, uh, with tax? No, you're, <laughs> I mean, some have even added everything up. You don't really ever own it, right? The manner of coming. And that's a whole other discussion, right? But it fades, doesn't it? It fades. I mean, once you get it built, I mean, look in our town, like people are renovating every year, right? Brand new stuff out and new stuff in again. It fades, right? The satisfaction that it has for us, it fades. But what God has for each one of us is something that never fades, an eternal home. It's full of the glory of God, which we're going to read about here, um, which, is, which is just amazing. Now, at the core of this whole thing is this desire. As I said, there's a healthy desire to have a home, to build a home. God commands us in the beginning of Genesis, go out, take dominion on the earth, right? Use your t- time, your talent, your treasures to, uh, um, uh, for the service unto God, right? And to create Create, build, be, be entrepreneurs, right? Use the earth in a healthy way um, for flourishing of, of mankind. These are all God-given good things. Um, but we live in a secular world, and the world more and more is, is telling us, no, just focus on this world, telling our children satisfaction can be found in this world. And, and I, I want to say loud and clear this morning, I think everybody here, we can agree that um, we cannot build utopia on this world. Uh, our town we live in is known around the world as the place where you've arrived. It is the utopia people are coming to for satisfaction to build their dream home, to, to live the dream, right? How many times you talk to people, oh, living the dream. You know, really? I, I think your dream's too small, maybe, right? And even for us to really reevaluate that, man, what is, what should the dream be really, uh, right? According to what God is, is, is preparing for us. And so back to this quote from C.S. Lewis, I love this, in the sense of addressing, he raises this question, you know, when we think about issues of where did forever come from? Because our secular world says, hey, pour everything into this world, there's nothing afterwards. More and more, that's where we are going, right, as a culture. And just look at our own community, how hard is it to talk to people about God, about heaven, about the afterlife? Nobody really wants to talk about it, we're too busy building our own home, our own utopia, right here, living the dream. Right, getting a hundred and whatever days skiing or whatever the issue is, is um, we're, we're too focused here. Um, and, and so Lewis raises this question of, well, where did this idea of forever come from? Heaven come from? If we, if we truly, as secularists in our culture are saying to us, as a large majority of our own in our own community would say that we are just some accident, we are some evolutionary process that we are evolving and evolving and evolving. Right? How could, as Lewis read, hey, how could an idiotic universe have produced creatures whose, and what he means by idiotic is an impersonal universe? How could an impersonal, just matter universe, right, create creatures whose mere dreams are so much stronger, better, more subtle than itself? Like, where did that come from? Where does all the deep issues of the soul, of the life, desire for intimacy, desire for family, desire, right? And this is across cultures. This is not just like a few here or there. This is every culture, every people throughout history of the world. We desire love. We desire intimacy. We desire family. We desire a home. We, these are things built into us. Where did those come? And the idea of forever. 
we know, a child knows that this life is not it. A child knows there's something wrong with death, right, itself, right? These are things that are built in, again, around the world, every culture, every people. Where did those things come from? As Lewis says, if truly we're going to listen to the, the secular voice today, this lie, right, that says this is all we got. Do the best you can with it, right? And when I die, I'm done. It's just, right, black. And uh, we know that's a lie. And uh, the, the reality is, I, I think we all need to dream as believers much bigger, is that we get sucked into so much focus, right, on, on our life, building a life here, building a retirement here, building a home here. Again, nothing wrong with all that. We got to do that. But boy, when that supersedes in my life, the hope, right, of building for God, with God for eternity, and we're going to look at some powerful verses here for us as a church and the value of what, is, what are we to be doing here as the church, as, as the body of, of believers in all this. So with that said, let me dive into the scriptures um, this morning. Now, there's a lot in these passages, folks, so I'm just going to touch on a few things and hope that you'll dive in. And, and uh, remember, this is John, the Apostle John. He's on the island of Patmos. And this whole book he's been given by revelation from God, it brings together pretty much the entire Bible. Everything that's all this language and this, this, sim, this symbol, uh, um, symbology and everything in here is, is brought. There's nothing new here. It is all brought from previously prophesied stuff in the Old Testament. It's amazing how it fits together. He just brings it together with a new clear focus of what God is going to do and doing right towards the end of, of history. And so this is, um, picking verse 9, says this. And then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Who is the bride and the wife of the lamb? It's us, it's church, right? The lamb is, is Jesus, right? That was slain before the foundation of the earth for a family. He died for us. He, he, God wants a family. He wants to dwell with us, going all the way back to the beginning. It's the only thing, folks, that makes sense of the human heart. It's the only thing that makes sense of desiring community and love and family, um, that we are creating the image of God, who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who live in perfect harmony, family, fellowship. A single God knows nothing of love. Do you know that? Why is the, the, the other gods, right, that are worshiped, why? they know nothing of love. But we know that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived in perfect love, perfect family, perfect community from eternity past. And we're created in that image. We come into this world with a desire, right? A baby comes into this world dependent on a family, dependent and to be healthy and to grow up into the fullness of who they are, to have a healthy family right around them. And let's put around that. When there is a problem, the church family is to take and to come and, and enhance that as well. Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, this is real important because a lot of us in just any movies or anything you hear people talk about is heaven is this idea of up there, is that we go up there and we kind of hang out in the cloud and sing Kumbaya and it, it just is, sounds really boring how it's portrayed most of the time, Right. That's not anything with the Bible. The Bible, heaven is where God is now, separated from the garden from this earth. But in the end, right, for eternity is he's renewing this earth, 
right? He'll bring judgment. He'll bring a cleansing. He'll bring preparation. Romans says the earth is groaning, the birth pains, everything we've been reading about in Revelation, everything we can see, and inc- earthquakes, famines, just going to pestilence, disease, wars, rumors of wars, nations fighting with nations. I mean, go down the list of things. Lawlessness, the increase of lawlessness, um, on and on, things we see happening today. Right? These are all birth pains. These are all indicators. We should step back and say, wow, man, um, what is going on in this world? And it should make us go vertical to God. Lord, and all of that is there to patiently, God is patient to give every tongue, tribe, and nation in the world a chance to look upward. Romans 1 says that no one's without excuse. Um, everybody, ha- or no one has excuse in the end is by, because of what we've seen, what's created, how the creation works, how we live, the breath of life itself all of that should point us to there's a God and I need to seek him and I need to find truth, right, that, that's out there. So this new heaven comes down. Then verse 11, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. And we'll see in greater detail is heaven at the center has the presence of God, the glory of God again, and that we are invited into this experience with our God. Just like Adam and Eve walked in the garden, which is the temple in Genesis, we will have fellowship with God at that kind of intimate level. Again, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 um, apostles. What is going on here? Well, um, again, this is symbolic language. This, the structure, the foundation, and the building, the primary building blocks of heaven are the work of, what, the sons of Israel, the Old Testament covenant. God began with Father Abraham, one person to shine and give his, his covenant and blessings to the Jews to be a light to the world. Well, we know the Old Testament, they blew that, right? And so God comes along and he brings about Jesus the Savior and to usher in his church with 12 apostles. Back at the beginning of Revelation, the vision of heaven has 24 thrones around it. That's the 12, represents the fullness of, of leadership and representation in the Old Testament, the fullness of representation of leadership in the New Testament, the apostolic um, work uh, that is carrying on even now in the church around the world, right, um, until Christ returns and brings, ushers in this uh, heaven, the New Jerusalem to this earth. Verse 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates, its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as, as its width. He measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia. Now, this is like almost 1,500 miles. This is a massive city, the biggest city that we've ever seen. And, uh, and many of the rabbis thought that it actually was about the same area of the known world at the time of, the, of this writing. So the rabbis just uh, pictured this as, in the, uh, the early church, I should say, pr- uh, uh, just saw this as, you know, heaven, the city of God itself um, on this new earth will be big enough. Think about it. Jesus, John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. There's a place for everyone, right? That God is preparing a home, a dr- truly dream home, right, for an eternal home for, for all of us, um, 
And the, the size of this, um, many others have, have thought about this, but it's, it, again, no, throughout the book of Revelation, none of the numbers are literal. They all, the thousand-year millennium, the seven, the twelve, the twenty. These are all, again, throughout the Bible used as markers for us to, to talk about a larger thing, right, that God is wanting to communicate in the fullness of time and his work, right, throughout history. So uh, let me jump down to 17. He also measured its walls 144 cubics by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Very interesting. The wall was built. So the point there is that this thing is so high that, the, again, it pictures. Remember, what is, what's the Lord's prayer? That things in heaven will be the same on earth. Right? It's the uniting of all things in heaven and all things on earth together. Ephesians 1 says the grand purpose of Christ was to unite, and this is throughout the New Testament, to unite everything in heaven and on earth together again, right? Back to the garden, except it'll be a thousand times better than the garden, um, but it's the uniting of all things in heaven on earth again. Is God never intended, right, for his temple, his presence to be removed from his, from his creation? The church, the gathered body of believers that the family of God around the world is to be representing the kingdom of God and is to how we love and share and serve each other is to represent the kingdom of God and this new family that God has uh, ushered in but as a picture, as a foretaste of what is going to, um, we're going to experience when he comes and ushers in um, the final uh, new heavens and new earth. It says, the foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, and he goes through 12 precious stones through verse 21. And talking about what are these stones. And, he, you know, John's trying to put in words what he's visually seeing, right, um, this revelation. And he's doing the best he can. Now, what's the significance of these 12 stones? Remember, all the way back in the Old Testament, for the priest to go into the presence of God and to minister uh, to a priest, ministers to God in worship and ministers to others, brings the blessings of God to, to others. And he wore a breastplate, and each of these 12 stones were put on the breastplate of the priest. So all the way back to the Old Testament, the very uh, image of the priest who's coming to the people to bring the word of God and what God says is a visual of God's promise, right? He is building a home for you. He's building an eternal house and he is um, ultimately through Jesus, he's making a way for us to dwell in the presence of a holy God. Right, not in the, like we see in the garden. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden because of sin, and Jesus, right in the fullness of time, right, has accomplished through the glory of the gospel. He's made a way for us to um, be able to dwell with God and <clears throat> and be pure, right, and holy because of the grace that we sang about right here. Verse twenty-two, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So there's no building, there's no structure. It actually is the throne of God and Jesus, the Lamb of God. The Holy Spirit connecting it all together is in the very center of the city, the full presence of the glory of God. And that's a whole other thing we could dive into. Um, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb, it's Jesus in other words, it doesn't mean that there's not a moon and, and, uh, uh, and sun in the new creation. It just means that the glory of God will outshine those. 
And there will be, well, let's read on, um, verse 24, by its light, the glory of God, will nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will no longer be night there. The glory of God will fill, will be, will be shining so bright that the moon and the stars will not need, to, there won't be this day and night cycle because we'll be in the presence of God for all eternity. And who are the kings of the earth? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. That's your inheritance. The children of God will reclaim the nations and the glory of the nations. So we will go back to the garden, reclaim, taking dominion, healthy stewardship of this earth, a renewed earth, and we will in the nations, right, bring the glory. And we'll have full purpose, full. Can you imagine being, uh, your creative talents, your skills, your talents, your treasures, and everything else maximized? No sin, no evil to thwart it. The maximizing of God's blessing and his creation in you. And to bring that in and to rejoice in the presence of God, the giver. And remember, God is inexhaustible. He is eternal, past and, and future. So it says, how will he not give us all good things? And there will be eternity of, of learning more about God, of learning more about his glory, experiencing more of his blessing, and taking dominion more of the fruits of a new creation. Uh, and as we work, as we rule, and as we reign right on this earth. And this is training ground, is what all the, the scripture um, tells us. But I think this is real important. There's so many ties here, all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Many people go, hey, you know, God, uh, before he created all the stars and everything, he talks about he created light. Well, what was the light? And he separated from darkness. It's the glory of God. And this is very important to understand, right? Is that there, and he separated the light. The light is good. And if you track light and darkness, it's a theme all through the scripture and into the New Testament. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, you've been called out of darkness. If you know Jesus, being saved means you've been called out of the kingdom of darkness. Your eyes have opened. You've been brought into the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light. And he says, you no longer are of the night. You are of the day. Your future is light. It is not darkness. What happens in the dark today? And this should be stamping who we are. We're not people of the night. We're not nightlife people. If you know Jesus, your inheritance is light. And you're to bring that light into dark places in the world and to bring hope and glory and redemption, right? And deliverance, right? Into, right, those places. That is the children of God. That is what the church is to be, a lighthouse in the midst of a community, a shining light, right? Jesus says, on a hill, all through this Again, the whole Bible just comes together here in Revelation. Remember, this book is written over 1,500 years. Separated. There's no book like it. Nothing can compare to this having prophecy given thousands of years before that's fulfilled right later on. Nothing even gets in the galaxy. No other ancient book has more archaeological ancient manuscripts to support the truth of than the Bible. Nothing even comes close. No matter what your teachers say, nothing comes close to this. And isn't it interesting? This is the one book that's not studied in antiquities in school, right? There's no book that even gets in the ballpark as far as has the scientific, archaeological, on and on and on support and blessing for it. And as far, has had world impact. It's still the bestseller every year around the world. But oh no. So it should tell you something of the war going on is it's the one book, it's the one name, Jesus, that can't be said publicly. 
that should be a loud, right, cry to show the truth of what is here, the battle that we're in, right? <clears throat> and the, the mission that we have, right, to bring light, right, into dark places. So there won't be any light there. There will... They will bring into it the glory of the honor of the nations. And we'll talk more about that. Um, just the importance of the nations. What's happening right now in the world? Well, let's just go down the list. The nations and Jesus and, the, uh, and the, in Daniel, the Old Testament, New Testament has said the birth pains. Um, Jesus reiterated this. Earthquakes, famines, pestilence. Just go down the list of things. Rumors of wars and, and kingdoms rising, kingdoms falling. Um, all this stuff. <clears throat> Lawlessness Jesus spoke about. Uh, do we have a spirit of lawlessness? More and more people I'll talk, even this weekend, it was fascinating talking to people in law enforcement, right, is that talk about um, there's no explanation for what people are seeing now. How people are responding to certain things, it's not, it, logic's out the window, right? There is, and, and you can't, the things that are happening and the things that people are saying and doing now, it, it is not just a political issue. It's an ideology. It's a spiritual move. Right, let me just, this is really important to understand, is politics will never save the day. Doesn't mean we should be involved. Politics will never save the day. What we see going on around the world, especially in our country, is an ideology. It's a spiritual move that's happening, changing people's perspective. That is the spirit of lawlessness, right, that has never before hit and embraced even, and even encouraged, right, in uh, sectors of our community. That is a spiritual move, right, that is, that is happening around the world as well. And Jesus, he, he talked about it, right, very, very clearly um, of what was going to happen. And the nations, right, go back to Psalm 2. It talks, Psalm 2, again, prophetically, the psalmist David says, right, the nations will rage against God. They will rage against the church, um, this, so it should not surprise you when you see the culture today in our country just come full force against tearing down every order that God created. Every bit of order that God has created is sacred. Starting the book of Genesis between uniquely how you were created, uniqueness of family, uniqueness of a healthy society, on and on and on. Um, everything today, folks, your children are having to sit through absolute warfare against crushing any of things that God deemed as glorious, right, are being deconstructed right before our eyes. It says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get your name in the Lamb's book of life? How do you get your name? If there's anything we should be absolutely sure of is, is my name in that book. Right. And, and folks, this is the important thing. It's not, and, and this is a great question actually to ask yourself, but again, conversation with others. This fleshes out real quickly, right, if we understand the gospel, if we understand salvation. I can't do anything to get my name in that book. Do you know? I can't be good enough. Only way I first get in here, right, is first and foremost... I recognize Jesus as Lord, Savior of the world. And I bow to Him, and I submit and surrender my life to Him. And I receive the grace of God that saves me and puts my name in that book. Right? Remember what happened when Jesus sent the guys out to go out and cast demons out? Man, they had a phenomenal ministry. Supernatural things were happening. 
right? They come back, they were just like, God, you wouldn't, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what, what, what's happening, right? They, these people are getting set free. And what did he say to them? It's profound. We need to understand it. He said, boy, that's awesome. That's what I told you to do, okay? But I need you to stay focused always that your names rejoice, ultimately, that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice, ultimately, that you know me, that you know Jesus, that you have relationship with him. And I would just say, again, those watching and those in here this morning, if, if you doubt that, if you have questions about your relationship with God, talk to us. We'd love to just journey in that. If there's anything we need to be sure about, it's that, right? That we know him, that we're written in the Lamb's book of life. All right, so just a couple quick things here. I'll give you a couple of verses. <clears throat> a little background, John 14. You've heard this before, you know, um, people throw this, even in the media and different places, just like so many passages, throw this around, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, what's the context? Always context. Remember, Jesus said this to his disciples. His disciples, when he showed up and said, come follow me, they had to drop everything. They had families. They had children. They had vocations. They dropped everything to follow Jesus. They ended up following for three and a half years. So naturally, and we see multiple times in the scripture, but my mind's going, right, well, how am I going to pay rent on the house? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to do this and this and that, you know? Follow me. Deny yourself. Follow me, right? Trust me, Jesus said. And so it's in that context here. Let that ring out personally to these guys who now they're being persecuted. Now they're being, now they're being like, wait a minute, Jesus, I thought you were going to like, you know, reign in like the kingdom and we were going to be like at your right hand and, and we were going to take over here and be like rich kings, right? No. Now they're getting, per- they're the scum of the earth. And he says this to him, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? And I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. God's heart to be with you for all eternity. He's done everything to do. And the church, when we gather like this to, to, together, it is this expression of God's presence. He promises when the church gathers, Jesus is there in a special way, a presence to encourage and build up, right? This expectation, right? To understand if there's, boy, if we need encouragement, it's this, especially with everything going on in the world. And just back to the house issue. What about, Lord, all the things we think about retirement, do I have a house? What am I going to All the things going on with all that. Well, Again, we have to deal with all that. But am I putting it in perspective? But Lord, you're preparing a place for me. And does my mind go there? When I think about building my dream house, does my mind go to and rest? Lord, I want to be faithful. Lord, I want to be faithful with what I have here, Lord, for the future of what I'm looking forward to. Now we're going to go a little deeper. Write this passage down. I'm not going to have time to... Go over all of it. First Corinthians chapter three. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and the whole time through here, he's correcting them on certain issues, and he dives deep. He says, he tells them, "Look, I wish I could speak to you as, as mature, but you're not. There's still divisive things going on among you." He says, "And, and you guys are so you, all you can talk about is, oh, this is Apollo, oh, this is Paul. You put people up on pedestals, and you're not talking and focused on Jesus." And on God, you're, you're focused on different people. And folks, if there's anything, I, I think just what's going on in the church in America, uh, you know, and we need to think about ourselves here as crossers on this issue right today, 
uh, big time, right? In the sense of, man, what, what is Jesus, what do we do as church? Are we here primarily because of him? Are we do using our time, talents, and treasures because of him? Uh, when it comes to, you know, we're so like, oh, I read this book, I watched this podcast, da, 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 da. What about Jesus? And what about faithfulness to his church, his family? These are the things that Jesus, when he comes, these are the things that will stand before him that he's going to be most concerned about. And um, he says this, according to the grace of God given to me, church, this is Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, he says, like a skilled master builder, he's, apos- he's the one who planted the church, right? He laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. That's all of us. We're building here at Crossroads on other people's work. The planting of this church, the replanting we did several years ago of this church, uh, for no one can lay a foundation other than what, which is laid, which is Christ. Uh, the, if the foundation of the church is not Jesus, it's not a church. It's not a Christian church. The foundation has to be Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, this is all of us with gold, silver, precious stones. Now, tie that back to what we just read, right? Things worthy of God's house. Or with wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will be a test of what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Obviously, wood and hay and stubble is not going to make it very far in the testing of, of uh, the evaluation, right? Um, If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through the fire. Do you not know, church, that you are the God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Whoa. That's a... God takes seriously those who divide his church, those who come and destroy the local church, who bring division, who bring gossip, who bring destructive nature into the church... God has pretty clear words for him. He's serious about his house, right? For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And you are that temple. And so, in other words, what, what this time to Revelation, right? And, and, and back to the question that I, that I want us to wrestle with this week. is, man, what is our focus? How are we building? Because to experience that new Jerusalem is that I have a role in that. And I'm going to stand in the sense of, have I been building in the local church with precious stones? With my time, my talent, and my treasures, how am I building? Now, what does that look like? The primary way it looks like, the entire book of 1 Corinthians um, is that Paul, he over and over again, he's critiquing the Corinthians. He says, gang. Are you building each other up? The primary way is relationally. The primary way of building up, right, is, is the over and over again message. Of, are we building each other up? Are we encouraging each other? This is why in 14, he says everybody should prophesy, earnestly desire it because it's to strengthen, encourage, and build up one another. His focus was to focus on those gifts that build each other up. Right, And whether it's just one-on-one, whether it's just serving each other in the body, it's whether it's finding a need for one, whether it's following up on a phone call with someone, it's learning all the one-anothers, love one another, bearing one another's burdens, all these things. This is how we build well. And if God's people don't gather, they can't build well. If we don't understand that we're a family, we're saved into a family, and that this is, um, that passage in 1 Corinthians, right, is... Uh, 
very intimately connected to what we read in Revelation, right? In other words, when the new heaven comes down, Jesus is preparing a place for us, right? But that preparation of that place is intimately connected to my honoring my Lord and his church, his people. Am I loving them? Am I serving them? Am I committed to them, right? And is Jesus at the center or am I just out here, you know, distracted with a thousand, right, other, other things? And so I would just encourage us as, as we close here, um, just this, this statement here, man, how, how, what are we focused on? And I'm speaking to myself here because this is easy, right, to get, get kind of derailed in, in the focus. And uh, folks, so much of what we pour, so much time, so much worry we worry about is fading. It's going to fade. Am I focused on the stuff that is going to be eternal, right? And I think we as a church, we just need to think in the church in America, right? We, we're just in a time where we need to really evaluate, right? First Corinthians 3. And I encourage you, come build with us, right? Come build with us. Be God's children a part of his family, right? Um, because we all need encouragement. We need to be built up, right, for us to step into the fullness of what God has for us, his inheritance, right, for us. And uh, so just as we close, we always open up the mics and just have a time, but just before we come to the table, um, man, let's just have a time. And uh, if you have something that you feel like, wow, this would, incur- this would build up the whole body, just come to the mic, bless us. Just encourage us. This is the beginning. This is prophetic. This is the work of the church to encourage each other. It could just be you have something. God gives you something for someone you need to call, someone you need to reach out to, someone you haven't seen for a while, someone you used to sit next to, whatever it is. Go minister to them, right? Do the work of building up each other. It could be just here before you leave is inviting somebody to lunch, uh, you know, getting to know somebody, a coffee, right? This, if there is a time where, where we need to come together as a family and fortify and encourage each other. It's now, right? It's now. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And, Lord, may we heed it, Lord, in our lives. Father, may we be overwhelmed that you love us so much. You are preparing a house for us, a home for us. But, Lord, we have responsibility in that, Lord, in the sense of are we stewarding now your house? Are we stewarding and using our time, talent, treasure, all that stuff? Are we stewarding your house now, Father, in preparation, Lord, for eternity. And Father, you've gifted every one of us with unique, wonderful gifts, time, treasures, talents. Um, Father, and, and those need to be brought together to encourage and strengthen us. Father, show us to be a church or that does that. Speak to us, Lord. May we resurrender where we need to resend, re, resurrender and be convicted where we need to be convicted. Teach us to love one another. Carry one another's burdens. Walk with each other. Father, I pray that you would show us. We love you, Lord. Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.